0: And we are live. There is too much music, which is funny for me to say because I, in the past, have often said and been quite an optimist about the fact that so many people can put out and make music these days that there's more music to discover. And isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? This is the utopia if you want to be an artist. This is utopia if you want to be like some sort of digger that wants to uncover hidden gems. The time is now and recently I've decided that is not true and there is too much music and today that is what we're going to talk about. Hello, it is Derek G Speaks, Volumes for another week of my life. I don't know, I record these in such sporadic order that I might tell you that um, I'm going to be doing something and then it's months later and you hear this podcast so maybe it's not such a bad idea. I'm well though, I hope you are well too. And um, let's just get straight into it, shall we? Because, okay, let's start with the contents, the the chapters for this episode, which are the problem. It's not just a music problem. The upside and solutions. So where are we at now? How it has affected other industries? Why it can be a good thing, but also my, and this is what you need to look forward to at the end, which is my, uh really bad cobbled together solutions for this issue. I say really bad because I think that there's a lot of I don't know how easily it's solvable without sounding like you're a gatekeeper. But hey, I will do my best. So, where did this come from? Well, I have been, you know, in the music space and consuming music for a while, and there used to definitely be uh gatekeepers and ways for you to find and discover music through what first it was paper, like in terms of magazines and, and radio at the same time. And then there became, anyone can start a radio station. And then it became well, at the same time or earlier, definitely earlier, there were blogs and now there's um, TikTok and Instagram. and And you've got the proliferation of obviously SoundCloud and then being able to upload things you know, before you could easily upload things anywhere else. And then there became the DSPs, the digital streaming platforms. And um, I want to point you to this article that's in the show notes that summarizes it quite well that happened, was posted about a week ago as I was kind of devising this topic, which came from Pigeons and Planes, the uh, blog site. And they said, there are 38 million songs with zero plays. I'm guessing on... Spotify or maybe all DSPs. Um, there forty-two percent of all music uploaded has less than 10 plays. There's 1.6 million artists with one hundred thousand to 1 million streams in 2022. Let me just read that to you again. 1.6 million artists with a hundred K to a million streams per month on on a total, total streams in 2022. That's a lot. There's 158 million tracks on DSPs. I heard a stat that was like 100,000 pieces of content are uploaded to DSPs every single day. That includes podcasts, I believe. That includes music. And I'm glad I saw that post as I was devising this episode because like, exactly. There's 38 million songs with zero plays. Let's start there. Uh, That's too much. (laughs) Uh, I think that when you have more music than any human could ever listen to and most of it is probably not worth listening to there's a problem of uh just quality and input i'm sure i'm sure there's a lot of good things out there that people will never listen to but i think that if you have platforms that just open the gates to everyone then you know you're going to get a lot of stuff that never gets heard or discovered and that's a problem so I've just got a whole list of things to talk about in this section, but here I am outlining the problem. Music has become a commodity. It's so consumable and so much of like people, it's almost like trying to win the lottery now where you can, if you have garage band and a laptop, you have a, you are an artist. You can make music and that's not to say, I'm not saying any of this should be taken away from anyone, but like because of that, I can put out an album today if I, if I wanted to. Literally could write it, record it, upload it and it's out. And that, for many people see that as the um, their ticket out to riches. And um, unfortunately it doesn't work like that. You need to be quite good at your craft. And I think a lot of people are putting out music that is um, with the attempts of making a revenue stream to be famous, all that sort of stuff. And how you meant to do that if you haven't gone through many steps of actually becoming a professional. I know people with music on Spotify who do not deserve to, and I say deserve, like that's cruel, but it's like it's like someone like me that's just like, yeah, I have an album. And it's like, what, why? Like you're an accountant and you don't play music and it's like yeah well, you know I was mucking around and and it's like sure if, if you're a, an alter and you happen to just create something very magical and you're a visionary maybe uh well done but uh I doubt that's the case we all doubt that's the case let's take lo-fi artists for example lo-fi hip-hop is definitely like a subgenre that at its best provides a lot of comfort uh at its best uh, is a subgenre that will stand the test of time to be representative of a generation who uh, likes to listen to chill beats as they study and work and like to relax to fall asleep to it. At the same time, there are so many lo-fi artists in the world that just make, you know, you just get some soft keys and you slow it down and you put some reverb on it and you'd repeat it. And there are lo-fi artists by the millions on there because you kind of can replicate it very easily without much musical ability i used to talk a lot with this influencer um with millions of followers and they're like yeah i'm becoming a lo-fi artist and this person was like a you know more of a uh a, a youtuber that reviewed products they were also a bit of a influencer that liked that people liked how they looked you know and then they And now on a lo-fi artist, it's like, wait, the barrier for entry is way too low here. (laughs) Fake artists is another one where there, as you might've heard, there are articles about the conspiracy theory of being fake artists. And this is talking to the music as a commodity where um, rather than paying out money to legitimate jazz artists, for example, there might be uh, a fake artist that is being created by the DSPs Uh, called uh, Tom Boltrain um, doing very similar music to John Coltrane and um, you can't find anything about them online they have no social media platforms they just have this profile on a streaming service and they get tons of streams because they get added to playlists and that's quite grim in terms of a commodification (laughs) and and like okay people want this this it serves a purpose so we're going to provide that to them without having to pay the artist royalties for people that made their art and people can't tell the difference if they're just listening to it at low volume so we are going to do our best to uh, uh circumvent that with our own tactics i guess so yeah a bit a bit it's because it's so easy to be an artist uh there's there's fakers everywhere, lots of problems um it's also because the because the gates are open doesn't mean that you should be welcome and that's because uh sure, I think that it does require it is kind of disrespectful to the art of music, but then it's also like you don't know that you're welcome on the platform because say for instance. Spotify, if you've noticed, I've noticed that they started calling the people on their platform creators instead of musicians or artists because they're looking for audiobooks, they're looking for podcasters. And so you might think, okay, if I get a song on a playlist on Spotify, I'm going to make it a big playlist. But it's like, no, they're kind of looking to diversify and get away from shining a light on artists because they can make more money. They can sell ads against podcasts and people stay around on your app for longer you know so you're probably not even welcome (laughs) in in a lot of cases but you might not realize that i think the quality control of the people that are uploading things is also i liken it to um you know how you have like art fairs in every local town that you uh, we are in um little art fairs you've got people that do art they paint a little you know landscape of some hills in your neighborhood or whatever and that's kind of the like town hall art fair you know and but the town hall art fair is the whole of spotify or the whole of apple music all of these and so because of that all of these kind of hobbyists visual artists from the town hall are now getting like the world stage, but they're not really getting the world stage. They're just like putting their painting up in the biggest, um, aircraft carrier of a (laughs) exhibition. And you're like at the sub, uh, sub below sea level floor on this uh, aircraft carrier. So it's, um, there's a lot of crap there and who is checking that to even know that it's not just like, uh, really nasty stuff, really horrible quality, you know, it could be even like horrible content as well. We'll never know. I think there's probably some pretty horrendous stuff on there that I wonder if the AI or like whatever can scan the lyrics and, and figure out if this stuff is any good, um, or racist or who knows, you know, uh, Problem as well is that there is uh, agendas. There's obviously major label sway because the the major labels are invested in the DSPs as well. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And so uh, if I am an artist putting out a song and it happens to be amazing, it doesn't care about that. It cares about maintaining the relationships with the labels. So I'll give you a really good example, which is, when I was doing my video about Mariah Carey and J-Lo, I was looking up and listening to a lot of R&B, classic R&B, just to classic, you know, uh, 90s, 2000s R&B to kind of do some research and find some songs that use the sounds that I was looking for. And I came across this classic R&B playlist and I was listening to it and I had, you know, uh, Destiny's Child, it had Brandy, it had Aaliyah, it had Ashanti, uh, it had Usher it had Neo and then I was like what's this song I don't recognize this at all this doesn't is this a classic and I looked and it's this um, young woman well I don't know about young anymore but um, called Jessica Malboy she is an Australian former Australian idol contestant I don't know if she won I can't remember but um, and she had a probably charting R&B song in Australia, and it's like this wasn't like the top twenty of these classic songs, and I'm like, what? And that's not just because I'm Australian; I'm like snarky about Australian artists, but I'm like, that's not. I'm pretty sure this is not a classic R&B song. I don't think this is goes alongside "So Sick" by Neo. I'm pretty sure it doesn't go next to "Say My Name" by Destiny's Child. But it's there, and it's like okay, that's a bit too nefarious for me. And there was a bunch of other like Australian acts in there that like, it's like, who put that in there? This is a global playlist. Uh, There may be some algorithmic things that throw me local content, but it's like, these aren't hits. I'm confused why these are in here. And I think that because of this leveraging by other, by these um, labels and DSPs, you kind of get, are getting gamed. So these people are getting, you know, a big leg up and you're just being the um, the iceberg beneath the surface. You're all that underneath, you know? You know, I also think that artists get paid a lot less because there's more content on the platform because how DSPs pay out artists is based on the whole proportion of songs played um, and then it's divided up into like who uh attracts the most percentage but if you have like what's the statistic um 42% of the music has 10 or less players so that does that mean because I don't know fully how it works and they're not quite transparent about how it works does that mean that 42% of the revenue goes to um you know a cent will go to that person with very few players and therefore that cent is not going for people that actually should get the money you know, I don't think they're quite worse like that. But I think that the more stuff you have and the more stuff that is streamed, then the less money goes to places that are kind of not the town hall artists. Um, but be, yeah, I could see the argument the opposite way for that too, which is like, hey, at least they're getting some motivation, some money for the work that they're put in. And it's not all bad, the music that is on these platforms. So the 42% is not all bad. So there is a counter argument to that for sure. There's too much noise as well. So uh, the proliferation in the last 12 months of sped up and slowed down versions being on streaming platforms. At first I was like, that's clever, that's smart because like sped up versions of a song on TikTok does really well Then the other. like, people like this, I'm going to put it out. I think Bad Bad Not Good is a really great example of that. Whatever that song is. Um They've got that, that's, I think their most popular song on Spotify, and it's like, hey, good business. But it's also like, come on, come on, don't do that. Like, it's not, it's a novelty to speed up or slow down your song. It's a novelty, people might use it and slow it down and put it on their anime edits. Um, But it's also just, this is where music becomes a commodity. It's like, stop, don't make stuff that, don't put, add more clutter that's just like variations on the same song that people can use in different ways i could be old manning on this and be like maybe there's like in 10 years time everything will just be listened to fast and this is just like a subculture in itself where it's like sped up music is going to define a generation and people absolutely love it i don't know if that's true i think it's it's a trend and i think that Uh, There should be some quality control where streaming services go, no, we're not going to accept this on the platform. This is not a a real song. This is a novelty, alternate, not even alternate song. Just it's the same song, but sped up. And uh, yeah, it just adds, adds to the amount of music that's uploaded. Um, Lastly, I think second, lastly, actually, I think that if I was to release music and not have a relationship, oh, I'm, a, I'm a bit different because I have a social following, but if I don't have a relationship with the label, with the streaming service, with, the, uh, with any particular promotion, then you're not going to get in these playlists. It just doesn't scan the song and go like, yeah, cool. You've made a really good random song and I've never heard of you, Joe Blow, and now you're going to be in, New Music Friday, congratulations. Like it's not how it works. That's why there's so much music with no plays. And I think that you still need relationships, you still need contacts, you still need label access, you still need a whole lot of stuff. And if you're not if you're if the only thing you're good at is making music and nothing else, then you will have a hard time being noticed. And I think um uh, maybe that is a good thing because at least you can put out your music. Maybe it's a bad thing because you realize Quickly realize that the game, the the chips, the cards are stacked against you. The chips, are, what's it saying? And lastly, I think this is most obvious, is that discoverability is impossible. Like uh, impossible is too, too strong of a word, but if we look at that statistic, right? 38 million songs with zero plays. How am I meant to find you? You know? Someone listening to this has put out some music with less than 10 plays. How am I meant to find you? If you think it's good enough. There is no, There are no tools to shine a light on these people. So you have to like, there are lots of cool blogs out there, but blogs are more irrelevant. Um, and there's no storytelling or access. So unless I know your name specifically, even then it's still quite difficult. If your name isn't original enough, if you have spice in your in your name, good luck being found because there's other uh, famous spices out there that um, will, will take you know a lot of precedence over you. So, you know, it's almost like an SEO question about how you can succeed as an unknown artist. How can you be searched and found the best? It's like there's some artists out there that there was Audrey Nuna who changed her name from Audrey to Audrey Nuna because I couldn't find her because you type in her on Google and it's like Audrey Hepburn and and things like that. And I think that artists more than ever have to think about SEO and how to be easily searchable but easily uh, spoken about as well. MXM Tune is a good example of like, it's an original name, but it's a difficult name to remember or say uh, because people don't know what, if if their X is meant to stand for something. So it's like, Mom tune, or something like that. So it's a weird consideration to be like, in order to stand out as an artist, you need to think about your searchability because it's almost impossible to find you on streaming services otherwise. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. limited to music, let's be real. And I think that it probably has found its way and had people like me talk about these sort of things much, much earlier. Let's give some very clear examples, blogs, photography, painting, visual art of any kind. Uh, Of course, with the internet being more and more accessible every day, blogs were a thing and I'm sure journalists were like well everyone can be a writer so what does it mean to be a writer and I think there's more opportunity for writers than ever before with things like Substack I heard about some Substack with like 300,000 subscribers insane like you'd be making millions of dollars at that point I think it's like a proper publication by this point though like it's not just like Derek G it's like teams of writers doing things and publishing every single day. So, you know, there's still merit. Uh, there's still like, you know, it's a, ho- a lot of hard work to get there. It's not just someone pu- publishing once a month. But, you know, blogging, I knew everyone had a blog at one point. Everyone had something to say. And I'm sure that people were against that. Same with photography, with Flickr and then... Um, instagram everyone's a photographer what does it mean to be a photographer if everyone can take a good image a camera is better than ever on your phone um and same with visual art it's like okay if you can have a canvas and if you can copy some of your favorite artists if you can do a a really bad version of a Rothko then you probably can find yourself with a middling career as a kind of hotel artist you know so what ended up happening if we look back at those which I think that the accessibility to be one of those three different professions on the internet have been around for a lot longer than being a musician uh as accessible as being as accessible of a uh creator on a platform as a musician on these platforms what happened I think blogs died to a large extent I think they still exist in the niches and the corners but if you have, if you're a random person with a blog, I don't think you're making any waves. Uh, and then the people that do end up writing for publications, I think that a lot of people are like journalists that have to go through the the kind of hamster wheel of being um, writing for complex writing for hype beasts, and then people go, "There's no money in this," and then where else go from here? And. Um, up becoming a copywriter or something like that i think and then the the, the really talented ones write books the really talented ones have like popular twitters and then get offers for book deals uh and then the really popular ones also go to Substack, you know so there's a through line um i think in the photography world there's still photography on, on photographers on Flickr, but they're all on instagram and look you can take a good photo but can you do it consistently um to be a photographer of note that shoots anyone of value um, is the challenge. And I think that real photographers are not threatened by Instagram. They just use it as their portfolio. And I think it's pretty clear to tell the people that are talented on these uh, platforms and who you want to work with. Just because you put photographer on in your, um, uh, your bio doesn't mean you are one. And I would say the same for like DJing or you could say this stuff because you buy a little controller, but are you actually a DJ? Um, paintings. Also, similar, but I'd like to ask people I know about this because I think that there are a lot of pop artists out there that kind of make gimmicky stuff for, um, you know, yeah, for hotels and kind of interior design type people. And I think these people get platforms, but they probably deserve it because there's an audience for them as well. So just trying to paint a picture of like it's not all just music. Um, I think access to people. My second point is around, like, I wouldn't exist without these platforms. Uh, Journalists might not like that I'm doing this because I'm not a trained journalist. Uh, Industry people might not like it because I'm not said from, you know, have the necessary background to say that I should be talking on these things. Um, But here I am. And I would consider myself, you know, more in, not. I'm not a musician, I'm more in the like blogger, journalist type sphere now. And uh, do I deserve to be here? That's up for you to decide. If you're still listening at 26 minutes in, then I guess so. Um, but it, I can't be too critical of things that give opportunity to people that might not have had the opportunity on traditional platforms because if I wrote into uh, Pitchfork, say, and said I deserve... I would like to be contributing and hearing my thoughts, they'll be like, they'll say like, based on what, because you listen to music and think about things, good job, you know? Um, I think lastly, the question is like, on on the problem side of things is, what is music? Seriously, what is it? Is it something that's a pure art form that should only be left for people that are the most trained and talented and, and um are a, a virtuoso in their craft or is it okay for it to be somewhat of a commodity as well because let's be honest a lot, most pop music is commod uh, is commodified um and most interesting underground music doesn't reach a mass audience for entertainment so what is music I think it's I guess it's like a catch-all for everything like most things like what is art um music is a commodity that is background music that people can just play in their cafes music is high art when you have incredible albums that really affect people and change culture I think that music is everything in between that you can potentially want to involve yourself in it it's it's inspiration it's it's a sleep aid it's uh, company it's um an antidepressant in certain ways it's a depressant in certain ways so what is music it's a is a interesting question when we think about is there too much music maybe music has more function than we um what i might attribute it to and maybe having too much music in the world is a good thing because there's some sort of uh service that it can provide to someone whether it is a lot of inspiration or if you want to feel really sad and miserable and cry and or if you want to go to sleep and you have insomnia you know what are the upsides chapter three of there being too much music I do think that there are more genres and more micro communities than ever before and I think that's kind of cool and represents like ultimately in some ways it could be a bad thing to say, like it's a fracturing of society and like, there's, there's like less like ways to kind of gather in that s- s- town hall way. Uh, but in other ways, it's like you can get weirder and weirder and weirder. And there's subgenres and communities for that, that want to like revel in, in it and, um, and celebrate it together. Um, that don't have to exist in any other space um, outside of their own, uh, four walls i think a good example of this is hardstyle. not that it's a small genre at all but it's like um i use it as a personal ex- example for me because i have friends that like hardstyle, and i'm like i thought i knew what hard style was but clearly i don't and like the hard style that i thought it was was more like um like donkey style donk not donkey as in the animal donk style you know like gabberish style music but no it's more like Uh, harder EDM and I've noticed these festivals in my hometown and they're huge and they have 50,000 people there and I've not heard of one artist there and and they do everyone does there, but like I like to think I know a lot about music but I'm like I've never heard of this before and you can sustain those kind of audiences you can be a touring DJ you can be an artist that people celebrate and I would never hear about you ever. And even if I want to explore and understand it, I will still not hear about you because, uh, you know, the internet and the world is so deep and and wide that you can, you can exist in your own space. So uh, that's kind of cool. Um, I think to winning the lottery, I said earlier, you do have more opportunity than ever to be a success. Are there many examples of that? I guess the the most visible examples of this is Russ or Chance the Rapper being independent, doing things on their own. Obviously, clearly being quite talented musicians, but you can do a lot with a little, you know? And if you are hungry, if one, you're really talented as a musician and know how to write good songs and connect with people. Two, if you know how to build an audience, talk to an audience and market to people, then you are also well on your way um and 3 i think that if you are persistent enough to want to get your stuff out there and be heard and be seen and and not just upload and think you're going to be famous and have kind of a business acumen to how you think about things then you are well on your way to doing finding success and not just hoping that you're like one of the millions of zero played songs because that's most people. I th- I've 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 heard enough zero played songs, as in like well I was the number one play, but the terrible, terrible, the worst. Like, like, just you know, as if some sort of redneck is press record and wrapped into a microphone, and things don't rhyme and things don't flow, and it's just on some beat that they just like did. Just it was like some sort of like stock beat on bang, uh garage band type thing, you know quite awful stuff um, um, and then the last thing which as I said at the top of this episode is that there's more music than ever to discover which is true I think like I am a person that likes to quote unquote dig find music that hasn't been celebrated this and having had a radio show for so long I found so much great music that doesn't get the the celebration and it makes me so excited to find those things and share it with an audience, small or large. And so there is more music than ever to discover that will be discovered, that has been made, that hasn't had the time of day. And that's always going to happen. Uh, but I do remember when I said earlier, I heard a statistic about 100,000 pieces of content uploaded every day or something like that. I believe it was, it was something like, don't quote me on this, but like 70,000 songs were released in all of 1978 or something like that, which is still a lot. But you're like, and now it's uploaded more daily is, uh, yeah, scary. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. ill uh, not ill advised just a a disclaimer don't take these too seriously because I don't know if (laughs) these are solutions but um, how do we you know evolve from having too much music to to a place where there's more quality there is less rubbish being uploaded that no one will hear because no one should hear it what should we do here are my suggestions OK, if there is too much music, this sounds like an ad because I think that Apple Music really nailed it with this solution, which is having a separate app for a genre to solve this question of having too much music and too much complexity on an app. What they did, and I made a video about it recently, is they have an app called Apple Music Classical because of the, the issue with discoverability of classical music on streaming services is that when you look at Bach, for instance, and, and all of his work, he's not recording the work. There are uh, there are probably thousands of uh, recordings of the same piece of his. And it the sound is different based on the performer, the conductor, the orchestra, the ear it was recorded, all this sort of stuff. And it's really hard to discover this because if you look at Bach, it's like, there's thousands of songs, but none of them are attributed to specifically him, but other people, conductors and whatnot. And so you need to find the ones you're looking for with the sound that you're looking for. It's really hard. So what they did is they put up this app where you can filter by composer, uh, performer, orchestra, and or instrument, and makes discoverability. Therefore, a lot more um, controlled, a lot more clear, a lot more concise, and a lot more specific to what the needs of the genre are. So what if you had different apps for different genres? I know that sounds really crazy, but discoverability might be a bit easier when you have too much music. So you could have, let's take hip-hop as an app. You could have the different genres of hip-hop if you want to listen to... Uh, trip hop if you want to listen to boom bap if you want to listen to trap if you want to listen to more like uh electronic hip hop experimental alt rap uh rap you know that you can go into those genres you could go into new school old school you could look into beat makers scratch DJs as different categories um, samplers, lo-fi uh, as different categories for different contexts in which you want to listen to it the, the Apple Music Classical app has this podcast series, a story of the story of classical, and I've been listening to it because I don't know much about classical, so you go through the Baroque period you go through the Romantic period you, you go through the Classical period and you're able to learn and discover and grow your knowledge and having apps that can that can point you in a direction where you can discover more music would be so important what if you had an underground section of your app therefore you can celebrate the new if you want to look for something new you know if you want to listen to you know really important songs of 2011 maybe you can go there as well it's interesting i think it's um it's music with context which i think is lacking on these streaming services, the ability to put a context around a, uh, a movement, a genre, a sound, a time. And so it just becomes this like whole glut of content. Another suggestion, amateurs versus pros. Just like in sports, the best have their own league. The amateurs have their own league. You know, And there are divisions of the leagues. So in the NBA, you have the uh, D League, the Development League, um, for the people that are pretty good but not good enough. And sometimes they make it through and get signed to um, the, the major league. And um, there's a bit of a ground there for people that didn't get drafted. In the same way, maybe you have – maybe the SoundCloud – Model was the best or soundcloud was like the amateurs where you could upload anything and there wasn't the need to distribute it everywhere there wasn't a need for playlists you just you kind of have your community that you build you upload stuff and if there's a groundswell things start to grow on its own and then if you start making it big then you go to the pros and you uh, are on a label or you maybe have to pass a certain amount of listens in order to get onto these apps Obviously, there's problems with this, but I think that SoundCloud plus DSPs is not a bad model because I think SoundCloud was always really edgy in terms of like, I could discover someone that's an absolute nobody and really, really be obsessed with this person and they can blow up and then they can turn into the next star. You know, I think Post Malone is famous for having uploaded to SoundCloud and then blown up and now Post Malone is a stadium act. So I think that the... The model of discovering music via having SoundCloud as where the developing underground and brand new artists are and then having the professional uh, money making platform for established artists that are producing high quality work on streaming platforms is not a bad idea for how to navigate having too much music on streaming services here's one that's going to upset you that's why I have to preface it because it's not necessarily a good idea but an idea committees and gatekeepers I don't like gatekeepers but like how are we knowing whether the stuff that's uploaded to these streaming platforms is of any is any good and I think where that becomes hard is because a lot of talented musicians are ahead of the curve and put out music that people might not like or be used to listening to yet and if that gets stopped from being put out it's almost like censorship or control of media and content so that is dangerous but then you know for the rednecks recording on garage garage band i'm sure that there should be someone saying no this is not allowed on our platform no one's gonna listen to it and it's terrible and maybe there are there's a way to not only pass A um, technological barrier to get through because when you upload it, it checks that it's in the right sample rate, that all it's tagged correctly. But then also, there is someone, some people that are checking it, going like, This is at least doesn't, it's not hissy, (laughs) it sounds okay, it's coherent, you're allowed to. Something, something. What about? discoverability via region or location uh, or a recently added field field or feed. Um, Because I think that was the thing about SoundCloud that I liked, not region specific, but it was like it was a feed. If someone uploaded something and someone maybe reshared it, if I didn't follow them, I'd hear it. There's no way on streaming services to just go to a tab that's like new. I remember in the early days of YouTube, there was like a new uploads tab And you would just click on it. It was so crazy because it was like, you'd see everything on there. You know, you would like, you don't get protected from who you get shown. So you just see weird stuff and I get why that's gone. And look, you could say to my problems thing further up making videos, there's millions of YouTube videos uploaded every year that I would never see, never be exposed to and never want to see and would probably have zero views as well. I did kind of like it though. I thought it was an interesting way to discover things. It would be outside of your like algorithmic worldview, which is sad, isn't it? That you've kind of served everything that you think you should like and so you'll ne- never see anything else. So a recently added feed, discoverability via, via region would help communities if, if you had like a, um, a Cleveland feed if you had a Sao Paulo feed and I don't mean Sao Paulo playlist it's like you go there and it's like oh this person just uploaded there from here um like it would be cool if I could learn about an artist in my neighborhood I know it's a bit stalkery but it's like they're from here and they make this this is amazing it makes me more in in, in, uh, obsessed with them as an artist I think that without providing that context and how am I meant to know about you you know Interesting, I think. Um, this one's an interesting one. What if it was the listener's responsibility? This one's weird because I don't think I, this thought is fully formed. But if you're paying, I don't know how much it is in your know, part of the neck of the woods for Spotify, but if you're paying $15 a month and you have to use it almost like you're buying CDs, right? It's like tokens and you have to use it and you don't just press play on anything. You have to you can listen to X amount of music for that money, then you gotta pay more afterwards. That could help in terms of paying an artist. You, you pay directly who you play, pay to play. Um, but then also it's more intentional listening. So you want to listen to stuff and give value, get value out of it and give value to yourself. That would give people so much anxiety because it's almost like gambling and you feel so sad if you play the song that you you thought, was going to be good in his bag, like, damn it, I spent 300 tokens on listening to this Lil Dicky album, Jeez, this is a bad idea, but it was interesting to think of it like when you bought a CD, you committed to that CD, and maybe you did your research, maybe you read some reviews, maybe you listened to it in store to get a feel for it, but then you bought it, and you had committed $10, 15 $20 on this record, and sucks to be you if you don't like it after that because you bought it and you committed to it. That's where this thought process has gone, come from. So that's why I'm like, I wonder if this could work. I don't think it could work. Cause it's like if you pay $15 a month and you have 15 tokens, 1,500 tokens, and uh, every song is uh, uh, 15 tokens. <laughs> stress. is giving me stress just thinking about uh lastly this sounds self-serving but i promise you it's not tastemakers on the platform not playlisters because the problem with playlists is that there are are algorithmic playlists that kind of pull in from the taste of everyone then present you a playlist it's called like creative study and then there are playlists that are like new music friday which is created by the editors of these platforms but also these editors have to uh you know, fulfill the needs of their invest investors. So I've seen like really terrible tracks be the number one on New Music Friday in a region because it's a major label, new signee, and it's a bad song. And there are, you know, so it's like, it's too many variables there. And then there's playlists like front left, which is like, you know, if you're always a bit, if you're a bit weird, but you're also mainstream, this is for you. And it's just curated by some random, like bunch of people within a streaming service i think what i like about tastemakers is because they tell a story they curate it they want to stitch it together in an experience and in a context that makes sense and why radio has yet to die or you know nts radio why that's still very relevant is because people go "Hmm, this uh, puts some context around the music that i want to discover it's not just front left or just another name they can tell you more stories about it and i think that tastemakers are as prevalent on these platforms apple music has them on uh, apple music one but i have apple music i have spotify i don't listen to apple music one as much as i respect the djs on there maybe it needs to be more apparent on there like you go to apple music and it's just a it's just auto playing. that would be helpful or something you know, I think tastemakers are important and always will be important as much as the algorithm thinks that they are. I still think that people that curate creativity is an important person. And do I consider myself part of that? Sure, I do. Um, and I think it's, uh, I've put people onto a lot of things because ultimately there's too much stuff out there. I know I share playlists. I am very conscious of music being content for me to share, but I'm also trying to, whenever I share something, provide value to people and um, not just be like, I'm making a new playlist every day for you to consume. You want a Neo Soul playlist today? Do you want a metal playlist tomorrow? I've got a list of a hundred songs for you. That's horrible. But if we can do it in a way that's considered and well thought through, then, um, you know, that can't be a bad thing, right? So there you go are these podcasts are getting longer I hope you enjoy them being longer some people said I wish they were being longer and now they're just longer by the uh, nature of the fact that i am got a lot to say on these things what do you think would love to hear your thoughts about solutions where you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that there is too much music out there maybe there's not maybe there's you think all oh, my ideas are rubbish maybe you think there's something in some of those ideas love to hear your thoughts and uh, yeah that was fun What have I got for an appendix for you? Uh, I think that it's been really fun to be in a new phase of my creation, which is to say that I'm taking it less seriously because I went through a phase of my mental health suffering because uh, I found the numbers quite hard to grasp if it wasn't doing well. And um, now I kind of, I'm just enjoying the ride and uh, I think that helps because I'm just doing it for fun and reminding myself why I do it. So I know on previous podcasts, I've spoken about struggling a bit, but I think that I, as with any person that creates content, you have to go through it. You have to kind of find success, feel like you're not, and then feel like what is the point of all this and coming out the other side. So I think that that's been a really exciting thing and I've been doing some exciting collaborations and I've been sent some exciting things and had some really cool conversations which might help me uh meet some of you guys but yeah i think life has been really good and um keep up to date you know i'm not sure when this comes out but sign up to the discord or sign up to the newsletter or follow me, comment whatever you like uh because i try my best to keep up with all comments on all platforms it can be hard but i do my best because uh You guys are really kind in giving to me and hopefully I am uh, giving to you in some way that is additive to your life. This has been Derek G Speaks Volumes. Lucky I didn't do one because there's too many podcasts. That's another podcast. See you next time.